I love super, super rich people's hobbies. That's like one of my favorite little things to find out. It's like he collects baby teeth, and you're like, what? Yes. <laughs> just, just he's a multi billionaire. Just like you know what I'm into, baby teeth. You got a baby? Who's in the baby teeth? Welcome to this new episode of Meaningful Miscellanea with your hosts Jacob and Richie. It's been a while since we've had an episode, since December actually, and a lot of that has to do, Richie, with what's been going on in your life. So tell us a little bit about what's been going on. Yeah, thanks Jacob. Um, and, and I've been keeping up with Jacob and through this time, but my dad got covid at the first part of December and then went on a ventilator December 12th and has been in the hospital since then. He is still in the hospital. Uh, we thought we've lost him several times. I mean, it has been a very hard, uh, and difficult, you know, season in our lives. But, uh, so I've been going back and forth to Arkansas to be with my mom. My little brother, uh, has two. And so, yeah, that's just really occupied most of our space you know, during this time, um, you know, with all the other things we have going on, but some of you maybe know about that and I appreciate your prayers for, for my dad. Yeah. And we might, we might talk about that more sometime in the future as as we process that. Yeah. And it's, it really has been, like I said, hard, but beautiful and powerful too. And so yeah, there's just a lot to share and I'd love to share with the people that listen. Well, we've got a, a pretty awesome and fun episode here mm-hmm. today with a special guest, Dave Barnes. Richie, t- tell us who Dave Barnes is if people don't know. Dave Barnes is a, where do you start? With what? Dave Barnes is a, his day job is a songwriter and an artist and has been, he's written country hits and he's had a successful Christian music career. Um, and, uh, lives here with his wife, Annie, and their three kiddos in Nashville. And it's just hilarious. He's also a comedian, like he's done stand up, and just, you know, the, 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 the time, anytime that I've gotten to spend with Dave and the few times I've gotten to hang out with him, um, I've always just laughed so hard. He's just, just kind of a force of nature. So it's, it's, he's a real gift. Yeah, he is extremely gifted, and and part of his gifts that we'll talk about is even just his understanding of how he's gifted and how to mm-hmm. use that as to serve right. people in many different ways. So yeah. it's really uh, he's kind of a he's kind of a sneaky. Uh, he's not just a funny guy and not just a songwriter. His understanding of of gifting and service uh, runs pretty deep well in there. So mm-hmm. it was really good. We had a good conversation. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Dave Barnes. All right. Welcome, everybody. We are excited today to have Dave Barnes with us. Uh, Dave Barnes is a singer-songwriter, um, all around extremely gifted 
person and artist and funny guy, and uh, we are so excited to have you uh, here with us, Dave, and to chat and to just learn about you and uh, get to know you a little bit better. So thanks for being here with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a, in a uh, triumvirate of power right now. There's like mm-hmm. a That's pyramid of power. Says, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of energy, <laughs> a lot of powerful energy. Yes. Um, so we wanted to talk to you a little bit, just, you know, our kind of our kind of uh, context and funny stance that we stand in is uh, just the the funniness of growing up in the South, and mm. and especially if you are kind of a sensitive artistic type, the ways <laughs> that you may uh, find yourself uh, in some incongruence, if you will, uh, <laughs> yes. as you as you grow up. So, where tell me where you grew up. So I was born, uh, my, my whole experience is completely Southern, so I, I, thankfully I checked the boxes for the podcast. Um, so I was born in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, Dad was a PCA pastor, now retired, but his first gig was there at First Pres in Columbia. And then um, we moved to Kosciuszko, Mississippi, uh, the SIP. We were there for 10 years and then moved to Knoxville um, in 94. So I was finishing high school, and so... Um, the the bulk of my growing up, I really called Mississippi where I grew up because that was first to tenth grade for me, um, and then uh, but it's yeah, and then I've been in Nashville pretty much Middle Tennessee ever since. So when you were growing up, did you um, what kind of drew you first into music? You know, were you uh, yeah, just interested in pop radio or how, what yeah. kind of drew you in? Well, you know, he, you guys know this. I mean, it, it the <laughs> it's truly laughable to me how much like. I think the only radio station that I remember we had in Mississippi was a country station, which was ran by a guy in our church. So every now and then, country music, which we, my dad and mom still to this day can't stand, but I think because it was the only music and they love music, like I have all these random songs that I know that are like 80s and 90s country songs, and I'm like, I don't know how I know this, because I know I didn't listen to it, but I think it was just kind of osmotic. It was like in the air because that was the only thing that was happening. So for us, the funny thing about music for me was... My cousins lived in Jackson, which to us was like a metropolis. I mean, it was like, they got a movie theater, you know, um, look at the cars. But it was, uh, it was, uh, there ain't no animals in the city here. But it it was so interesting because every time I would go spend time with my cousins who were very like on that, they like, they loved music. My cousin was a, and still is a great musician that's my age, the middle son, Kelly. And um, I literally would just get these like, dumps like he i'd be like what are you listening to like what's happening you know when i was kind of in my formative years starting to get in junior high and high school and he would literally just like he was like my dealer like he'd be like here's the record you know and we'd go to bebop or whatever in jackson and and you know and so for me a lot of my tutelage was was not native to kosciuszko because there just wasn't i mean it's hysterical to me thinking about i didn't know a person that had a guitar like so so forget anybody that played one i didn't even know i don't know that i saw somebody play an instrument that would be like a popular you know instrument uh until maybe toward the end where there was like a cover band that played some event i went to and i just didn't even know how to handle that i was like look that's like real drums that guy's playing a drum set you know <laughs> and so i mean truly it was just it was just there was no there was no culture for that there was no definitely not an economy around that in that in that town and, you know, there was like a music store, but, I, you know, so, so it wasn't even in my periphery, you know, it wasn't even something that was like, so, and this is where God's, you know, you talk about God's provision and his, 
is so crazy to, to, to sort of trace through my story because, you know, if I had stayed there and, you know, I, I had, I had my sights. I think if you'd asked me when I was 15, what I was going to do, I would have said, I'd probably been like a preacher, you know, I'd have probably done what dad did. I don't know why I just kind of thought, you know, I'll probably go to state and, and then go to, you know, RTS somewhere or whatever. And so, um, I, but I, something at the same time was like, I started to realize I'll never forget. <laughs> it's such an embarrassing story to say, but it's true. So we went on a youth group trip with Clarksdale. So, so Jimmy Turner, if y'all know Jimmy oh, yeah. had a youth group. Yeah. And, and we went with them. We would do all these trips and Clarksdale, like Delta girls are just, they're just beautiful women. And it was, I just remember being in those years where I was like, it just felt like every girl was dream weave. How many dream weave? Dave, we have met dream. And uh, and I just remember we did this skit. So one of the nights, I'd never done anything like this, but we did this thing where one night somebody was like, let's just do some skits and y'all have fun and we'll do like a skit night. And I'd never done anything like that. And one of the skits, they did this dating game and literally last minute they were like, hey, why don't you be like the MC of the game? And we hadn't rehearsed or anything. And and so we just step up and start going, and it was like, and I, something just started to happen to me. I start saying things, people start laughing, and it was like, <laughs> like from the depths of my, it was like, what is this power? You know, that pretty good dream. She's 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 laughing, and then look over here, dream. She's laughing too. And so for me, I do think there was something about being in front of people, being on stage, like that that sort of lit in me around that time, and so. Kind of congruently, music was starting to get, like, Dad had bought me a drum set. I was probably, I don't know, like, seventh or eighth grade at this point. So that's, so the seeds are being, you know, the seeds are being sown. And we end up moving to Knoxville. And um, and I'll say this, too. When I was in Mississippi, one of the seminal moments for me was I went over to a friend's house. And I, this is so weird how this stuff happens. But I was hanging out in his house, and he had the stereo. And he had the greatest hits of 1978 Time Life CD. Wow. And, you know, and, and we listen, my dad especially loves music, so we listen to a ton of music around the house, but but pretty much relegated to, you know, those 10 bands he loved, which were great bands, thankfully. But, you know, he wasn't like, you know, we're just playing tons of everything all the time. And I remember putting that CD in, and my buddy, I thought I only think he was in the room, and he just kind of left to go do something. And I just, Dust in the Wind came on, and then mm. More Than a Feeling. And I remember for the first time, it like... A440 frequency just pinged through my soul. I was like, yeah. what is this? Like, I'd known music, but something about hearing those songs for the first time echoed so deep. I couldn't, I stood in front of the stereo like something was wrong with me. Like, I had, you know, some, and, and I was just, and I remember he came in and was like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't, I'm just like, I don't know. And I just kept hitting next and some song would play. And I remember American Woman was on there. But, but it was like I was hearing it for the first time. You know that feeling? Like yes. whenever you sort of come up against that thing that God sort of been like, here's your little thing. And then at some point it's going to get pinged. And that was the moment for me where I was like, I mean, I've heard music, but I don't know what's happening to me right now. Like these songs are. And I remember taking that. He let me have that CD. And I remember just playing it over and over. And that was right before we moved to Knoxville. And so when I moved to Knoxville, you know, the, uh, like I'm, there was a hundred guys in my school that play guitar, and so and like knew how to play guitar, and so I'll never forget like jamming the first time with this guy, and he's playing Pearl Jam, and I'm playing the drums, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I have grabbed the lightning, <laughs> you know, like, this is it, you know, and um, and then uh, you know, oddly enough, and and, and music was then that it was I, I knew at that point like I'm gonna have something to do with this. I didn't realize that. Drums were kind of the gateway drug. They weren't going to be what I actually did. I went to MTSU to study drums. 
and did that for a year and realized like it was a classical school and it just didn't really fit what I was wanting to do. But, but you know, oddly enough, I just started writing songs my freshman year there and that's really when like the thing, you know, took, like I started to kind of sing and then people were like, Hey, that's not bad. And so, um, that, and when I found songwriting, especially, I was like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> okay. This is the thing, you know, cause I think drums are just the closest I could get to it. You know, so that's what I was doing. But I'd be the guy on the gig that's like, while we're playing, I'm looking at the bass player like, hey, you hungry? He's like, what? I'm like, I'm starving, man. I need more songs. He's like, three. I'm like, oh, God. Okay. You know, I was that guy. I was like, that's probably not a good thing to know, you know. So it is funny, though, you know, like, small aside, one of the things that fascinates me about the way sort of God makes all of us, Phil Collins to me is this archetype of this fascination in me, which is, if you read Phil Collins' autobiography, which is two two things. One, the most fascinating, amazing thing, and also maybe like the saddest um, warning. And he kind of talks about this really candidly about what that can do to you and your families and your wives and everything. But anyway, one of the things so crazy about Phil Collins is, you know, he grows up in London as this drummer. And he played on, you know, the equivalent of Broadway shows and... and, and um, London never had written a song and never had sung in his life. Mm. He meets Genesis through this ad. They need a drummer. He goes and he plays with them. Peter Gabriel leaves the band. And um, and so they have to show people how to sing the songs. And so they have all these singers coming in to be the new lead singer of Genesis. So Phil's singing them. And Mike Rutherford and uh, Tony, whatever his name is, the other two, kind of get together after a couple of these sessions. And they're like... Because they're about to record a record. They just need a singer for this record. The song is already there. So Phil is singing the singers the songs. He's like, oh, it goes like this. And, and the other two kind of go, wait a second. Hey, Phil. Because they hadn't found anybody. Like, why don't you just sing the songs on this record? And he's like, I'm a drummer, man. And they're like, I don't know, man. Your voice is really cool. Why don't you just do it? So he's like, all right, I'll do it. Well, then he starts to sort of piddle in writing the songs with him. Here's the thing that's crazy about, I think this is right about Phil Collins. He was the biggest songwriter in the 1980s. Now, that's including Genesis, wow. but think about who that beats. <clears throat> that beats Michael Jackson. That, I mean, it is Phil Collins, a kid who never sang a note in his life until his late teens, arguably early 20s, definitely never wrote a song until his wow. early 20s. Became, and so God had made this thing in him that was, that was the, one of the most profound giftings anybody has ever had in that thing, but he didn't know it until these circumstances sort of unearthed it and then it was just like you know everything just grew to incredible amounts you know now people can argue whether they think <laughs> he's worthy of those things I, I love him personally but it is interesting when you think about and I think to your point that's a really long answer to your point Jacob but I think the thing that's so fascinating about growing up in a place like Mississippi is you know I think there are these things that some of us sort of had in us that didn't necessarily have the place to be you know sown like the seeds couldn't quite be sown in the environment you grew up in Although, you know, a friend of mine said, and I thought this was really interesting, he said, you know, our, he's another Mississippian, of course, but he said, you know, if you think about arguably the most successful playwright, Tennessee Williams, poet Eudora Welty, uh, uh, writer William Faulkner, and then blues as a music, which eventually became pop music, are all Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And so there's this, this incredible... Um, uh, you know, thing that's come out of that state, and obviously the South, too, but... 
um, that it does seem to it does seem to birth this incredible um, creative thing, even though you would think like there's no real place for those things to grow, and maybe that's why they do, you know, yeah. because you have to be strong enough to sort of push your piece of grass up through the concrete, and if you can make it through the concrete, you're probably going to make it, you know. So well, I think there may be something to that. That's beautiful, and I wonder if that doesn't also apply a little bit to what Phil, the Phil Collins thing because. Since he didn't like, oh, I'm a songwriter. I'm trying to write great songs. I'm do this. Mm-hmm. He sort of backed into it. Mm-hmm. That it seems like his songs are like, they're pop songs, but like they're like, what's going on? Like, oh, yeah. they're just they sound different. It's like he's doing his own thing. So I wonder if there is that same kind of, yeah. like, if you're not trying to do it, that's or right. it, it produces its own kind of weirdness. That's really iteration. Like, yeah, yeah. That's a weird song. It's a super weird song. And I think it's those kind of songs you can only write if you kind of don't care. The craziest thing about him is the first song he ever wrote, the first song that he ever wrote by himself, and he wrote a lot of those songs by himself, was um, In the Air Tonight. Wow. How about that for your shot across the ball? And so you kind of think, yeah, maybe, you know, if you're his life coach, you're like, Phil, um, I know you love the drums, and that's great. Oh, my God, we love the way you play drums. But isn't it interesting that the first song you ever wrote is probably in, like, the top 100 songs ever written? I don't know, though. I don't know. I'm not super into it. Yeah, that's not really what I'm asking. I think let's just back, circle back, you know? <laughs> one, of my, uh, one of my joys in, uh, over the quarantine period was watching and finding these little reaction videos. Oh, d- that video? That video they're like, there's so much joy in watching yeah, yeah, yeah. so many of those videos, but that one of those two twin boys listening to that song for the first time, and it is such a strange song, where the strange, drums come in man. like I don't know three quarters of the way yeah. through, yeah, and but just like watching somebody enter into that, oh. like it's a, the power in that in that moment. It's and incredible. In that song. It's watch incredible. somebody watch that. It's, it's incredible. Just, it's, it's I can't believe we've never talked. I mean, like JT, we've talked, we've talked about. Phil, like pop music, I can't believe like we've talked about Phil Collins. But I'm so like, glad we're is... talking about Phil Collins because I, why is I it cool to Phil. hate on Phil Collins now? I don't you know. know. <laughs> I, I, I think, I, I, Richie, honestly, I think it's a little bit of what you said. I think there is this weird thing about him that's like, well, anything that's that ubiquitous is going to get hated because it's just, the, the, yeah. you know, when you're that successful at anything, people... It's just easy to hate. It's the most lowest hanging fruit because it's everywhere, you know. But um, he, Phil Collins, to me, is the archetype of a few things. One, you know, the older I get, the more I realize it's going to be the dumbest thing. I probably uh, that's not true. I'll say dumber things. Give me another twenty minutes. But um, <laughs> but voices really matter to how we enjoy a song, and that sounds like mm-hmm. okay, Dave. But but and this is what I mean. You can't enjoy Tom Waits songs a lot of times if Tom's not singing them, and Tom may have the worst. Voice in popular music, mm-hmm. but it communicates something only he can communicate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you Not hear that. other people cover their songs; they're amazing. Same with Randy Newman. You think about, you know, he that guy's a genius. But when he sings those songs, and his voice is awful, Bob Dylan. I mean, I'm gonna get a lot of hate for that, but it does something different. And so you realize the voice is the vehicle. It's the slide into the emotion. And if that That's slide's good. not the right pitch, or it's too fast, or it's too smooth, and so. To me, Phil Collins is funny, and I dare you guys to do this. Like, sit down, take any of his songs, and sit down and play them yourself. And you'll, I think this is what I would argue. You'll find a couple things. Like, this is not near as interesting as I thought it was. 
one. And two, it's incredibly simpler than I thought it was. Now, not musically. Melodically and stuff, he's incredible. But he even says most of his songs he's ever written in his life, he puts a mic up and just kind of sings until, and then that's kind of what he writes down. So there's no, like, I said, you know, there's lo, no Leonard Cohen, it took me six years to write this song. I mean, it's like Phil Collins put six albums out in six years, you know, because he's, he's literally, like, I can feel it in the air tonight, he put up a mic and he was just feeling all this stuff and he just hit record and basically kept, the what you hear is his basically wow. first take. And so I think there's also something to that where it's like, it's just not very deep. But his voice to me is one of the most perfect combinations of what he's singing and the emotion. And it has a way to portray what he's saying so perfectly Mm -hmm. um, that, that it works. It's just like, I think if you, if you, if Aretha Franklin had covered any of his songs, it, you, I think your brain would be like, I don't know what to do with this. Because it does, it's not as interesting suddenly. It's like, it's almost like her voice is too good, or the song suddenly sort of like isn't as good because it's, I'm listening in a different way. But he's a weird, he is a weird bird that way. He's, he's, he's got th- that perfect thing that happens every few times. Yeah, you he's know. got the little peninsula. Like all my, ba- <laughs> my kids, when they're all babies, we all call them Phil Collins because they all had the little, yeah, he, the landing he's a pop strip. star who looks the most like a baby. And like, oh. and, and, but I remember in 1986, in 1980, I remember being in a Wagoneer. Remember those old Wagoneer trucks with the wood? Okay, being in a Wagoneer, sitting, eating uh, ice cream, chocolate chip ice cream in a red Solo cup and hearing like, take that look off your face. And oh. know, like that song, like with that little, oh, yeah, yeah. and then take, take me home. There is such, and, and you listen to all those songs. There is so much pain and longing. Oh, so much pain. It, it just is oozing out of him. And he, it's like, it's like he didn't think, Hey, I wonder if this is cool. Yes. Like to me, that's when art dies. Like that's so it. much yeah. dies because they're like, I wonder if this is cool. He's just like, I've got a peninsula. I'm a drummer. <laughs> And, 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 and I'm going to say this and this may be, I don't know what it's about, but I need to say this. And it's just, you know, what's funny, Richie, you, you basically nailed the autobiography in that sentiment because I think he, he just, he's like, I, I just, that's not how I write songs. I, I, whatever I'm feeling, I put the mic up and I just sing. And if you read the lyrics, I'm not kidding. I did the super deep dive after I read that book. It is almost pedantic how bad the lyric, not bad. I don't mean. But you can tell, oh, that guy just sang those things. There, mm-hmm. I mean, there's zero profundity. Like, everything... Like, no it, metaphors. No metaphor. Irony. It's all super what it is. But, again, I, th- I do think the secret of his sauce, ultimately, is what you just said. There is so much pain and vulnerability. And his voice, for whatever reason, when God made him, was like, this. it is going to resonate so wonderfully with how you something about his voice commuting that communicating those emotions particularly is it is like almost undeniable. I just think wow. you hear him and you're like, I just believe this guy. I don't even know if I like it. I just, I but I, I'm like, I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sincerity. Dave, how has that affected you as a Na- as a Nashville songwriter? How does you that whole thing? Because it seems like you're you're like amazed and attracted to it. How does that affect you as someone who is a professional songwriter? Uh, you, that's a good question. Um, you know, I mean, you know this, Richie, like songwriting is so tricky. Uh, as an artist, it's, it's sort of like, um, when I'm writing my own songs, it's all that stuff. It's all the, how do I, do I feel it? Is it happening? Is it resonating with me? Does it matter to me? Cause that's all I got before I send it out in the world. The last and ultimate question is, does this matter to me and make me feel something? 
if it does, then we can put it out. If it doesn't, then it just ain't. It, it's either that not yet there yet, or it's just not going to be heard by anybody else. Um, but you know, professional song is really different because it's a little more. You know, that matters, but I think you're not quite shooting for the same thing. You know, you're kind of you're trying to find something that's a little more broad. And I think um, you know, I, I don't necessarily have that gift that <laughs> Phil Collins does. Shocker is I'm not broadcasting this from my yacht um that's on a helicopter that's on a yacht um the uh you know it is is um you know it's just a it's a i've had to learn it's just a diff you're just you're playing a different game it's got some of the same rules but but not not really you know you're you're trying to find something that resonates with mass amounts of people and that's it's hamburgers to steak to me in some ways wow you know it's kind of like it's kind of like, you know, my artist career, I'm trying to kind of make steak. And that's not a cocky statement because I'm not sure I even make it. But that's what I'm trying to do is make something that's a little more specific. It's a little more thought through. It's, it's you know, I'm taking months, weeks to write a song where, you know, a lot of these songs you're in a, I mean, you know, Richie, you're taking a day to write a song, which is great. And some of the best songs I've ever written took two hours, if not 15 minutes. But, um you know, you don't cook hamburgers and steak the same way, even though it's the same meat. You got to sort of treat them differently. So mm. I kind of think of it that way, which took me a long time and a lot of pain right, and frustration okay. to figure out. But I do think it's true. God, um, it's beautiful. Man. I want to ask you a little bit more about that. But before one last Phil Collins thing, please come on. I, I will talk about <laughs> and this. This is going to be this is going to this might blow your mind if you don't haven't heard this yet. But because we were before we started rolling, we were talking about the city of San Antonio and how Dave just recently heard three or four references to San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. When you go to the Alamo, did you know this? Oh, yes. Yes. About <laughs> Phil. You go to the Alamo. A lot of the artifacts at the Alamo are on loan from Phil Collins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. Just, no, Richie, this is happened? the truth. This is the truth. He, he talks about that in his book. He is, I've totally forgot about that. That's so funny you brought that up, Jacob. Uh, yeah, he, he, I love super, super rich people's hobbies. That's like one of my favorite little things to find out. It's like, he collects baby teeth. And you're like, what? Yes. <laughs> just, just, he's a multi-billionaire. He's just like, you know what I'm into? Baby teeth. Uh, you got a baby? Give me some baby teeth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> name your price. <laughs> name your price. Um, yeah, he's, it's, it is crazy. He's super duper, duper duper into it. And I think into that's the like, Alamo. like into yeah, the Alamo, history, into, into, yeah. into specifically the Alamo. Yeah. So not like Texas war history, literally the Alamo. He, um, and, and in the book, there's like all these pictures of him there. And wow. I mean, it's crazy. I think Rod Stewart is in the toy trains. Like you can get online and like he's got like a room full of toy trains. That's about right. That's pretty, right? that seems on that, that seems on point to me. Seem. Yeah, that seems about I mean, right. you know, do you think Rod I'm sexy? Stewart. That's Sidebar. another guy. Have you Rod seen Stewart. Well, let's do it. I love you, honey. Like you talk about just a strutty uh, peacock. How does that voice come out of that guy? Actually, it makes sense when you see him. You're like that feels right. Yeah. I remember seeing him when I was like a little kid, like on videos and thinking like, thinking like, what is what am I looking at? And it was like during his like, uh, if you want my bride, it was just real sexual, and he looked like an old woman, like yeah. he looked like an old, and his hair was like yeah, crazy. God, the eighties were so weird, y'all. He is. I don't care what anybody says, and, and maybe he might be a huge fan of y'all's podcast. He's not an attractive guy. Mm-mm. Wealthy has made him attractive. Like wealth has made him look good, but it's like you can tell 
Man, if he had done anything else, you just feel for that guy. You do. You okay, know? so what is your favorite Phil Collins song? Uh, real talk, there's too many. I'm not kidding. I have so, w- one of the sleep, one of the um, probably my favorite sleeper song of his is you remember saying every day I try to make my heart be still. That song to me, again, it's melodically. He's a he really is a genius. I don't care what anybody says. I'll fight you. He's a genius melodic. He's a genius singer too, and lyrics work for what he's doing. But his melodies are. I mean, take take me home. Forget about it. And let me tell you something, songwriters. Feel this podcast, and you're shushing me. Try to write that song. Try to write any of those songs. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You will fail miserably at it. Because he's got that secret freaking sauce that's like just enough lyric to keep you interested. Melodies that'll bend your mind, but are super simple, and chord changes that are just enough. Like, ooh, what is that? What is what's happening there? But I, that that one, I think, is called "Every Day." His also his cover of that Leo Sayers, um, what's that song? Uh, oh yeah, uh, but I can't stop loving you. No, I can't oh, yeah. stop loving. You. That song is so good. Why should I? But he didn't write that as a Leo Sayers, huh. Leo Sayers song, but. Those are probably my two, like, kind of sleep. Everything else everybody knows, but those are the two that I'm like, I don't, I like these. They're sneaky. Yeah. I, the Tarzan soundtrack. Oh. Holy moly. Don't sleep on songs. the Tarzan soundtrack. Right. Oh, key changes and all. Oh, I, dude. I, oh, it's so, so good. I think one of the reasons I like his lyrics, because I went kind of did a deep dive with him one day, and there's something lyrically, there's a theme of being like on the outside mm-hmm. and always, like, and yeah. trying to kind of get look over the wall. There's this, yeah. and he captures that tension so of well. longing yeah. so perfectly. His, and in simply, his voice, I think his voice sounds like longing. It yes. always sounds like that. It never mm-hmm. sounds like it's landing. Like, take me home, because because I don't remember. Like, oh my it, gosh! Like you don't even know what he's saying, but like everyone feels that way. Like everybody wants to go home. I'll tell you the other thing. To- last thing, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about So much of I think what is. So cool about him is his rhythmic understanding, which him being a drummer. But like, if you listen to those tracks and the way those songs feel rhythmically, and even his melodies, it's they're always they just feel good. They feel right. Everything just feels good. You know, which you know as a drummer, he was like, if there's gonna be one thing that this is gonna do, it's gonna feel good. (laughs) You know, that's awesome, man. man. I love the Phil. I love that you brought some Phil Collins today. Yeah, yeah. He he is. I, I, I'm always I'm a big I'm a big like proponent of people that sort of deserve more or, or like get thrown under the zeitgeist bus, you know, that like who actually who've had success. But society's like, <laughs> I'm like, hold on, hold uh-huh. on, you know, on that list to me. And you're going to laugh. This will be quick. <laughs> but Phil Collins, Dave Matthews to me mm. is a genius. And, oh, yeah. and do I love the Dave Matthews band? I don't love. I mean, I really love some of those albums, but I don't. I've seen them once in concert twenty years ago. Um, and then, um, oddly enough, Sugar Ray, Mark McGrath. You can laugh, but you try to write a song like Fly on Your Own. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. And wow. that that band did it for like three records, and those songs are bullet. They're cheesy, but they are bulletproof. Yeah. Wow. And the pivot from them being a heavy metal band, rap rock band, into a pop band is is to me very respectable. Yeah. They I had think, one hit. Fly was the that. only hit on that first record, and then it was a huge hit. And they went, "Oh, so I guess this is what we're doing now, guys." So <laughs> let's just write more of those. And then they wrote more of them. That's yeah. the thing is, it wasn't like whatever the band that did play that funky music, White Boy, because you know they were like a rock band in the '70s, and they wrote that and it was a hit. And that was, I think, like their only hit. Yeah. 
you know, and they. Yeah, why does but, Dave Matthews get so hated on? Because I think, Dave, again, he's just everywhere. And I think frat guys and people just went like, oh, this is like a college band. And I'm, you know, anything that you can't replicate again in pop, in, in the popular world, I'm like, you have to respect whatever that was. You have to. Nobody will ever do that again. Ever. Do the song Two yeah. Step off God. of that second album? Good gravy. Yeah. So like good. that. The satellite. Whole thing. Satellite. Satellite. <laughs> Unbelievable. Are you kidding me? That song. I mean, and, and, and I tell you too, and this is the stuff that to me proves these guys geniuses is the more you dig, the more profound it gets. Like with Dave, you, you, I don't, okay. Tell me how much you hate, uh, uh, now play that on guitar. So pick your guitar and play it, play it. Show right. me how you play that. You're going to be like, that. Oh, wow. Holy have cow. Fun. Yeah. Write, write that. that. Yeah. So he, you know, I have, I have like a, there's a some of my mission statement as a human, as a musician, is like carrying the flag of these people that I'm like, no, we will, I will not be a part of you doing that because there is something really amazing about what all these people have done, you know. You know, Dave, that it, it's almost like there's something about. It sounds like there's something about um, the cool police that yeah. you don't like. Oh man, well it one because like- they've never pulled me over. Um, yeah. Sadly, they never were like, "Hey, we like you. Tell me about what you're doing." Wow. I was like, "No." Like, but I think that's fat. It sounds like there's something about the cool police that you hate. Yeah, that thing, and so people going, "No, that's not cool." Is that has that been like a trend in your? Well, life? I think I think you know it's funny you said that. I, I've never thought about that. Um, I think some of it for me is it bothers me so much when stuff that, um, ugh, the hype thing in music is is. It, it, like I'm gonna have to sit before Jesus and really confess all my sins about that, and I should maybe do that after we get off this. But you know, I just hate when people when when, when something that's just not great is said is great, and and it's and it's not even because I want to I want to hate on those people, but it means that stuff that is great that should get the attention isn't. And so I think for me, it bothers me when you know the hype machine sort of picks up all these things and goes like, "This stuff is amazing," and sometimes it is, and you're like, "Yeah, that that is." Well done, people. But then a lot of times you're like, why is that good? And then this song, which is one of the best songs that came out this year, nobody knows about or got slept on. That stuff just bothers me. It's like, you know, um, and some of it is because I'm in that world. And so I know those people and I see how, you know, they're having to hustle to keep their thing going, yet they're making this amazing stuff. And then these people who are like, you know, I don't know. I just opened GarageBand and hit record, and I'm like, mm, that's good, <laughs> and that's fine. I'm not, you know, but I'm like, come on. That's one of the things that I lament so much with the DSPs, you know, with Spotify and Apple, and and I'm a huge proponent for it too. Like, you know, Logic Pro Tools, I, I love. I use all that stuff, but I think there's just no. The gatekeepers are gone. There's nobody that's saying like we need quality control, and so a lot mm. of stuff slips out. And look, a lot of that. There's been stuff that slips through that's really great, and people have who who wouldn't have made it through you know quality control because they didn't know enough at the time have gone on to be geniuses and huge mm-hmm. careers and deservedly so but i think too it's hard because you just see people who really do know what they're doing who who deserve to be heard that aren't because everybody and their mother can put music out now and so it's hard wow. because i you know it starts to turn i start to sound like i'm like starting a communist regime or something but at the same time i'm like you know it is one of the griefs i have to your point you know richie is just kind of like you know, it's it's hard. It's it's tough. It's tough. Just and so I do have a little bit of me that's like, no, I will not go out without a fight. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's just got to be, and, and as Christians, I think there's just a tension there that won't yeah. go away. Yeah. That what is like, what is truly beautiful? What is yes. really authentic? 
and yeah. that tension is just always there and it it always hurts and it's always frustrating and it's always yeah. heartbreaking yeah that sort of staying in it i think definitely someone is, who is an artist who loves beautiful things and wants it to be authentic and real and true mm. to also be in the reality of commerce yes to, to live in both of those things like the guys that i know you know that that this is a tension that i remember one i hear a songwriter once say he said what happens in this room if this is not what you love the most, then don't, then yeah. like, don't do this. Yeah. He goes, yeah. because everything outside of this room is profane. Yeah. And you just own it and just own yeah. the reality that like, and so there's just sort of that, that tension that seems to exist with guys like you and other people that are doing it full time for a living. It just, well, you know, too, one, one of the things I, I talked to a, a good friend of mine about this yesterday, uh, Elliot Jerry, who y'all probably know, but Elliot and I mm-hmm. were getting breakfast and catching up. We were both talking about this weird dilemma of like, you know, and I think in Christendom, this is really a question for heaven for me. I think a lot about this, a lot about this. Um, it's just like, what does our giftedness mean? You know, wh- what does it mean to what we need to do with it? Like, what is our calling and our natural talent say for how proliferated it needs to become? Like, uh. d- does God need me if I have a gift to put it in fifth gear because I have a gift in you should always exploit the things that God has given you that you're good at. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that, that is a, that is a really, you know, that's a really fascinating question to me. Um, and something that, you know, this is probably super controversial to say, but I think about this a lot. I think about a guy like Billy Graham and I'm like, did God want him to do what he did? Or was that hubris, a sense of calling mixed with, you know, because it's his first call to his family and his kids and being available to minister to that, which we know is his calling, or to leave that and to minister. Now, were people saved through it? Oh, my gosh. Profound things happen through that. But I think I just struggle with this thing of, like, hmm. when the gospel, when when our callings become these huge things, um. I just don't know about that. That's a tricky place for me as a yeah. believer. I'm just like when we sort of magnify these things that God has given us because you know, we think this is what God wants. It gets tricky because has God ever needed us to do anything? Wow. Well, no, right? And so you know, so when I think about, you know, and, and look, I love Billy Graham and I know people that came to the Lord through his ministry. So I, you know, God you, you know, I was laughing Elliot. God will always use this to accomplish His will. Like because we sin, God doesn't suddenly go, "Oh, dead coming." The Barnes Project is off, guys. The Barnes Project, is off. we got to move on to His sons. Maybe they'll be better. <laughs> but like, um, you know, but just just that, like, God has all. It's the story of the Bible. Is God is using broken things to renew and restore the world, right? Like, but I think at the same time, I just don't. You know, I think about music, and I'm like, you know, how can we? How can I be happy with what God has given me? And the people that do listen to what I do, and while I maintain somewhat of a sense of responsibility to my wife and family and to the community we're in the church that we're involved with, while still exploiting my gift in a way that I feel God has called me to do without navigating that really weird space of, you know, you you, you have enough conversations in your life when you do things like this. And y'all do too. I mean, I, you know, that's something that I have so much respect for my pastor friends because, man, if there was ever a time to write a book or to become a traveling pastor that, you know, it's now. I mean, you know, I feel like if you are if you have a congregation of more than a couple hundred people, 
people can go, hey, like, you, you ever thought about putting a book out? We'd love to put it out for you, and here's a guarantee for the thing, you know, and then, man, if that catches, you can then go be a speaker, and before you know it, you're, you know, you're, you're selling your wares across right. the, the world, you know? Right. And so I think it's like, I just don't, I don't know, that's a, that's a really tricky space. So I think for me, trying to go, Lord, I really want to do the best of what you've given me, and navigate that well while trying my best to not <laughs> let that thing that gets in my brain that's like, this should be bigger and better, bigger Man. and better, bigger and I mean, better. Jacob, we've talked so much about this stuff because there's, and I think we know we're all in our 40s, uh, and I think that's part of being in your 40s. It's like, okay, have I done, am I doing this right? Am I doing what? I, and then there's the inevitability of our own, you know, anxious egos that are always oh in there. The, the evil genius inside of me that's always going like, no, 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 this is not. And so always telling me some other thing to do that I need to do more. And I, I it, it's so like, what is, I think the, the point is for me, the only place I'll find any peace is Jesus saying, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And yeah. so I think like the, the place that I can sort of land on is Am I, is this for other people Gosh. or is this primarily for me? And I can't ever answer it. It's like a hundred percent totally for other people. Yeah. Like I can't be totally selfless, but like the only place I can find is like, if that's the only place I find any peace, because if it's not that I'm super anxious about it, I'm really obsessed. I become like Gollum about it. Kind of mm. like, is it good enough? And I'm trying to f use whatever I'm doing, whether it's ministry or whatever it is, to fix something broken inside of me that can't, it can't ever be fixed. Yeah, so, I mean, that, I think that's what our forties are. That, so this is this is really crazy. Again, more simpatico. That is exactly where we landed the conversation yesterday, mm. verbatim. I, I said, you know, I think service is always, and this is what blows my mind. I, somebody said this in our Sunday school. I lead a Sunday school at Covenant. We goes and 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 I was like, well, that's it for me today. I, I'm just I need to go home and like lay down in the yard and just sort of see at the sky. But they said Jesus didn't just come to serve. That is who Jesus is. In heaven, Jesus will serve. He is a servant forever and ever. And I was like, oh, 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 that changes some. In other words, God wow. doesn't like clock like Jesus doesn't clock out in heaven. He's like, boom, high five, God, dude, I served. That is who He is forever. Yeah, and why would we think? I need to find a way to, I need to look for a way to serve instead of just saying, well, of yeah. course I'm, I'm serving. That's, I'm what, that's service. what I need to do. Yeah. 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 And then I'm out. It's like, <laughs> no, no, no. If, if, if the OG, if that's how he's rolling, <laughs> you know, that is what he's calling us to do too. And so I think for me, and exactly what you said, Richie, it's, it's about, it's a service paradigm and going, okay, as I'm making these decisions, how do I serve? The other thing that I'm really that I really have to watch in myself, and you know, again, people may send me mean emails, and that's fine. But I don't, you know, I I have to be careful of this thing. My dreams shouldn't crush my kids. Like that's oh. not the point of my dreams. And, and I think, and and I think, I didn't bring them into the world to just give them purposefully give them weight just here's burdens like here's just all this i chose to bring you in and then here have fun with all of this stuff you know so i think for me too there is a little bit of like how do we navigate doing what god's called us to do but at the same time knowing our first ministry and always our first ministry you know and, and to our families and our wives and our kids because i have this funny feeling that if we really did that the best we could the world changes so quickly when our families really, when we do with our families, <laughs> that you don't have an effective ministry. 
Just yes. love your kids and your wife. And it's like, but all these people, no, no, don't, I don't care about all those people. Because if those people are doing the same thing, they're doing it too. Just like, and so I think for me, it's tricky. And man, Christendom in America has gotten this so wrong, and I'm not going to tee off on that. But, you know, this idea that like, you know, what our calling means and the bigger, you know, you got this gift, you got to go do this with it. It's like, well, hold on. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Like, but I bet you what, I'll tell you what, I bet you if that is what you do, it's, it's going to be heavy. It's not going to be like, I'm about to rock this mic. It's going to have this feeling of like service because it always takes something from us. To serve, you have to sacrifice. And I think to your point, you know, that you were saying earlier, Richie, it's like, you, you know, I think there's this thing we have to walk through when we, when we do these things to make sure, you know, that, that it, it was, <laughs> I, told, I told Elliot yesterday, you know, I feel like, my career is, I'm in this weird season where it's like, um, I feel like I'm writing the best music I've ever written. I'm, and I'm so thankful for it. And it's so fun. But because I've been doing it so long, it it's sort of to the least amount of applause. Because I think, and what I've had to realize, and what I hope, I'll say that. Let me say that. I hope it's like, if I said the best analogy I've come up with so far is like you're a home builder, right? And, you know, the first couple of times you build a home, everybody's like, dude, that's a, that's a good home. You're like, yeah, it's like a one bedroom, one bath. It's like at the back you did it and then you build like a two-bedroom people are like dude barnes built a two-bedroom and you know you do three bed all of a sudden you're 1500 then you add a pool people are like dude barnes is building pools it is and then at some point though you kind of find your groove and then you built the f- the fifth version of that 2000 square foot house and you're like everybody come look at it and like dude this is great and you're like yeah but like <laughs> what else They're like no it's really good like yeah it's yeah it's awesome and i love the new little thing on the front that's great and you're like yeah, but like, and like, well, no, dude, you just, we know you're going to build great houses. You build great, you do it for a living. Like, obviously, you know what you're doing. And so at some point, there's this thing where you kind of go like, yeah, but, and then Elliot and I were laughing because like, that's when in your 40s, and this is where the trouble comes. She's like, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere they like, they don't know my homes. I'm going to find a place where I can build some new homes. Be like, dude, look at this. New, you know, and so for, for <laughs> pastors, I'm sure it's, you know, I'm going to move somewhere else and start building new homes because I'm tired of people being used to my homes. And for me, it's, you know, it can turn into a myriad of dysfunctional things, you know? And so, you know, there is this thing where I think too, to your point in, in this weird season of life, it's service looks like doing the same thing you've always done. That wasn't service back in the day. Wow. <laughs> Dude, that's good stuff, man. You know what I mean? It's like that's really for a good. while it was like killing it, you know, Rich, what a sir, just what yeah. the kid over here. And then, you know, 15 years later, you're like, I have never preached a better sermon on that. I just, that's the perfect, no hitter. You put your pen down after the sermon. You're like, yeah. thank you. And people are like, that was great. What are y'all doing for lunch? You're like, yeah, I yeah. don't think you understood what I just pulled off. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, or preaching and seeing someone like get comfortable. Like I, there's a guy that gets like starts. He literally gets comfortable in his chair. Like, and he goes. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I smite thee. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. No, I t- that, that's really bad. I mean, I think that's that shows a lot of uh, reflection. And honestly, there's that that must be coming from a place of a lot of hurt and a lot oh, of pain. They just, I remember, it, it, who was it that said, uh, in your your first forty years of your life, you're building the box, and then the second forty years of your life, the box comes apart. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and so you have to. Di- it comes apart whether you like it or not. And yeah. I want it to come, I want my box, I want my life to come apart and life come out of it. Like, yeah, that's right. That's right. I want yeah. it to be that kind of movement of giving and whatever God wants it to be. But that's, 
and it's hard because my, my ego never likes it. Oh, it gosh. And I'm still waiting for my ego to come on like this. We're going to like service. And it's like, no, no, it, it never is okay with it. It's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. Richie, Richie like and I have talked about, you know, you go through things in life where your ego is kind of laid to the, to the ground. And then when you get past that season, your, uh, your, your temptation is to just pick that ego up and try again, mm-hmm. instead of just leaving it there in the ground and figuring out a way to, to do what you're called to do, but just, just keep pushing that ego back into the ground. That's where it belongs, you know. Leave that stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 a really wonderfully confusing season. I think you know where, you, yeah. where you're you're like this is when I'm supposed to be really good at, it, and I think I am, but it's also um, a season where it just feels like everybody's kind of like, yeah, man, it was great. And you're like. No, listen, I did a key change in the bridge and went back. Did you hear that? Like, yeah, it was really cool. And That's you're like, it's awesome. not really cool. It's really amazing. <laughs> and you don't know good music. Um, you're not cool. Yeah. So, hey, so do you find yourself, like, how are you, do you see yourself, like, almost being a mentor to younger guys? Do yeah, you that's sort of it. St- I mean, it's it's shot called from Solomon. You know, <laughs> 2,500 years ago, right. Solomon is like, I'm going to tell you something and you're going to forget it immediately. And you're like, no, I'm not. And he's like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> but, you know, and then you, you see it with books like Halftime and even, you know, which is a little tricky, but, you know, Richard Orr's Falling Upward, which, you know, I say with the asterisk, be careful. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you know, it, it it is that thing. It's that thing of, like, benevolence suddenly, the second half of life thing where you've you sort of gone, man, the stuff that was supposed to make me happy didn't. Um, and the stuff uh-huh. that was going to kill me didn't either. Mm-hmm. And yet, so, so how, do I, how do I sort of think about this? And then it's like, God's like, okay, oh man, so we can actually interact now? <laughs> can we actually talk about the stuff that I've been trying to tell you? Like, you're going to get life from service and like, you're going to suddenly feel this sense of enjoyment from doing the things that I've been trying to get you to do, but you're too busy to do. <laughs> like, are you desperate enough to finally try this? You know? And so I think, uh, it it is that I mean you know that that's the season that I'm in for sure is sort of going like well this isn't making me happy is it so I'm gonna do the things that I feel like God's really moving me toward and and of course I'm being facetious I mean that that has been what I've done for you know years but I think now it's just taken a very different light you know it's like it has much more importance and um and the it does just feel so satisfying you know when you're able to serve in that way that God sort of made you to do that you mm-hmm. see really impacts people, you know, and I think too, the power of doing it for where we all are is when you've done something enough, you do have some expertise. And so you have, you know, you actually have wisdom to give. And there's this, there's a certain sense of like, I actually kind of know what I'm talking about a little bit in some of the space, you know, mm-hmm. so you really can't help people like you, you know, I have a huge passion for young artists in Nashville. And it's so fun getting to sort of pour into them and tell them what I've learned and, and to affirm and encourage them. And, you know, and it gives me so much life. I mean, so much more life than my music does, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that's a real grace. It's a it's a hard, it's like a heartbreaking grace, but it's a real grace to sort of mm-hmm. go, oh, okay, 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 <laughs> you know? What if all of that is just for this, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not for me to build these little statues of myself, yeah. that mm-hmm. these little Ebenezers of my success instead going, you know, how can I really use this to, to help and... and you know, bless others, um, which is really powerful.
one of your other great gifts really to, to all of your fans and followers on Instagram is just the way that you've used humor, especially in the past year in this pandemic. Nice segue. And, uh, and that really is a, uh, like that's a life giving, uh, gift that you have. And that's not uh, just, what do you, how do you look at on your, uh, gifts of humor and how you you know it's that. funny I, i've told this story a few times um in different podcasts and stuff but i i'd like to tell because I, I think it's it's true and it's where i sort of learned a great lesson but so you know I've, I've done these characters and all this silly stuff for years and and um and my show you know is kind of there's just a lot of you know me talking and being stupid and silly um and um a few years ago my uh, old manager who's a dear friend of mine was like Hey, what if we did like a stand-up tour? And I was like, okay. And he's like, and I mean like just stand-up. We had done a couple of one-off shows here and there where I'd do it and kind of get on stage and work out jokes and stuff. And it was always really fun, terrifying, but really fun. And um, and I was like, okay. And he said, so let's let's shoot for like I think it was two thousand, maybe sixteen. That he was like, let's just do, or seventeen. It doesn't matter. Uh, it, let's do like 10 shows, just you stand up and see how it goes. And so we booked them, you know, flew across the States, did them. They were like an hour, hour 15. It was so much fun. After one of them, um, I'll never forget, uh, this woman was backstage with a friend of mine after one of the shows. And she said, Dave, that, what a, what a fun show. And I was like, Oh, thanks so much. She's like, you know, it just bless me so much. And was being sincere, you know, not like Paula Dean, bless bless you, but like a very uh, Paula Dean probably means it actually, but um, mm. but I uh, I was like, what do you mean? And she said, well, just really bless me. And I was like, but like how? And she's like, well, let's put it this way: I had a terrible day, terrible day at work. I came here, I laughed so hard, my brain chemistry changed, and I feel great. I'm gonna go home to my kids and be smiling and happy. I would not have gone home to my kids smiling now before the show. And it was like, there was a paradigm shift in my brain that was seismic in that moment. Because, and this is, this was late into my 30s. I mean, arguably, you know, I've been funny for a long time, quote unquote, but I just never thought of it like that. I never thought like, this has this power to affect on people, you know? And so, um, it really was this, paradigm shift for me and so I think <clears throat> it's changed the way I think about that stuff like I think I used to do it because I knew people would laugh and I, I thought it was really fun but the pandemic was really funny because I did 60 of these in a row where I had these quarantine a minute of humor every day I put on Instagram and we did it for and I did it for 60 days and it was and I really did it it sounds weird but there was a benevolence in it because it got to be a huge pain it's eventually why I had to stop doing it because it was like it was just taking so much time to do but um but it was you'd be amazed at how many people sent me messages, not that it was funny, but were like, this literally is giving me sanity every morning. Because I post them at the same time, and people would like open up their Instagram or whatever and watch them and sort of get like a breath, laugh, you know, get a little their positioning in the world back to normal, you know, like, and then go about their day. And it was, it was, it's just a reminder of what the power of that, you know, I, 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 I that's what music has always done to me. That's why I, music will always be my, first and main love is because it that's what it does to me i hear music and it just messes me up it's like the best thing ever one of my favorite things is uh is uh pastor phil lugambana yeah sweet pastor <laughs> he's uh brother pastor he is uh 
he he's so many people that I know. He may be he may be who I am becoming. I'm not sure. If you don't know Pastor Phil Lugenbottom, yeah. try to find yeah. uh, find Dave's Instagram page, and you really can't miss him if you just kind of look around yeah. for a, a. He's kind of become the character. preeminent quarantine character that sort yes. of like he's he's survived. He's important. He is. He's important. He's important. <laughs> he has things to say. <laughs> I imagine, like around 1990, there have been a sitcom for Pastor Phil, and it would have come on maybe on Saturday nights oh. between two two seven and that's Amen. Right. Amen. That's two, right. You might just remember two two seven. Oh, love two two seven. All right, so Dave, we've got a little surprise for you. Okay, come on. Because I imagine this. Mm-hmm. I actually have a Pastor Phil theme song. Oh, for you. Sorry, this is blessing me already. I, I wanna, I we want to bless it. you. Okay, please, right, please. So here it comes. When the church bells ring and the choir starts to sing, who's that? It's Pastor Phil, <laughs> giving all he can as a middle-aged singer man. It's Pastor. He's been keeping Deacon's guitars all year long, but he's always got a word from the Lord. He's a big piece of work working down at the church. He's the it's past to fill. It's past to fill. It's past to fill. And you can't you just see him at the end? Can't you just see him at the end? Like at the end of that song like a thing and just going like uh, you know, I'm like crying. I'm crying. You just you oh. can imagine him just at the end, just a pan into his face. Oh just my god, you guys sitcom. are killing me. I that's mean how, that electric guitar Jacob. work. That guitar work, Jacob, is absolutely a hundred percent of harmonized little flicks. You really do capture an eighties sitcom thing. It is uh that is wonderful. Gosh, if you I will pay you a million dollars for that track. <laughs> oh my gosh. That you know what's so funny about him? And it's to your point, Jacob, like I you know, he is the character that I think one of the reasons that he keeps getting done is because I enjoy doing it so much because I don't have to think. It is so, I mean, it's, it's got to be the same with y'all, like a character like that where it's like, oh, yeah. it's all sitting at the bottom of my soul. Mm-hmm. And the minute I open and I just slowly start to think about him, it just starts coming. It's like, it's the least work I ever have to do because it's all just in there. Man. Like I know all, I know that guy, the five iterations of him that become him. And so I just, one of the most embarrassing and hysterical stories that was probably Six months ago, I was working on, I was trying to figure out what the next one was going to be. And so I was sitting in bed one night and I had my phone. I was like kind of jotting ideas. And I started laughing so hard. Like I'm laughing. And he, my wife's reading a book and she looks at me. She's like, What are you laughing at? And I was like, Uh, uh, um, uh, just, uh, uh Pastor Phil Skint. She's like, Oh, Dave, are you laughing at yourself? And I was like, Yeah. And, I, and then it wouldn't stop. Like I kept going for another five minutes because I'd have another idea and I'd just like, <laughs> like I'd start giggling, you know? And because it's just like, it just, at this point, it is the well that we just won't go dry. I just, every time I go back to it, there's something I'm like, oh my God, that would be hysterical. I should talk about that. (laughs) 
All right, you guys have a couple of minutes uh, left to talk about um, this Van Halen song. I know you like Please. this song, Dave. If this is right now, I'm going to jam so hard on this song. We talk a lot. I've got about a question about it, so I want to okay. get your help with it. So okay. let's do Come this. Stuff like death, leopards, drummers, legs, just a couple of It's unbelievable. All right. So when when did this... We're going to talk about Van Halen's uh, Right Now. Ugh. This song came out like early 90s, right? That's mm-hmm. how, yeah. When this came out. I think I've been listening to this song wrong for 30 years. Oh. At least the beginning of it. Okay. So when you hear... Can you hear that piano right there? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. When you hear that beginning lick, are you hearing this when you hear... Are you hearing that first note as as beat one? Yes, I am. Okay. Right? I heard it as beat one for 30 years. It is not beat one. What is it? Okay, so here's a little my trusty metronome. Here's how I heard it. All right, that's not what, that's not what it is. Because whenever the band comes in... When fully comes in, uh, like thirty seconds later, if if you're like hearing that as beat one, you're like, oh, I'm all, I'm actually off. Here's oh, what it you is. You're really rocking my mind right now. It's actually. Let me slow it down a little bit. I was going to say. I was when impressed. you hear, all right, let's pretend that was beat one. And you also hear that as beat one, right? Right. Right. All right, but that's not what it is. That's actually. That, that first note is like on the first 16th note after beat one. So it's like, oh my God. Yes. That's, That's actually way co- it. Way cooler. So whenever you, I've, for 30 years, I just thought it was the other way. And then whenever the band would come in, or like when that solo would come in in the in the bridge, I was I was like, where where is the beat? But, yeah, your brain is like. But it's actually it's it's totally it's totally it's like shifted over. But you could hear it either way. That's the other way. You know what sort of does that to me? I love the metronome is so long about that. The um, you know what else does that to me? If you listen to Eye of the Tiger, you ever notice that the second the time the guitars thing. come yes. in, yes. it does that thing where it's like a. Um, uh, and it kind of catches up. It yeah. yeah, it's so yes. It waits. It waits. That I love love stuff like that because I'm always like, what happened in the studio? Like, did they mean to do that? Or like somebody doing like, oh dude, that's actually cool. We should do that. 
Or okay. the band was like, no, we always planned on just like waiting that extra 16th note. Did you know what really it's like? mess with people's brains. In my mind, both of these songs, you know what it's like? It's like, it's imagine like the guys sort of like on a sidewalk, sort of talking, maybe like smoking cigarettes, yeah, jean yeah, jackets yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. And then when it all comes together, they're like walking on the sidewalk, like, it's like they're just kind of, what was that? Yeah, and the yeah. same thing with the other thing, and then they're like they're walking all eighties, like yeah, 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 going yeah. somewhere. Yeah. yeah, we have yeah. It's like a walk. The yeah, both, it's a pay, both yeah, of yeah. those songs, those songs are very similar. Yeah. You, you know what's interesting too about that, the the uh, right here right now is that so much of that song pushes, like almost all of the things push, and so some of I think why they do that is because it fits the rest of the form, which is bound. Push, 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 all those are pushes. So you sort of get why eventually it makes sense in your brain, but when you first hear that, that's a deep dive I need to do is like the songs that come in because there's one on the tip of my tongue that I can't think of what it is. But there's another song that, like, when it starts, you're always like, oh, there's the downbeat. And they I've come got, in and yes. your, I've your got brain's a couple like, of those. Yeah. One of those yeah. is um, Take It Easy by the Beatles. Um, by, by the Eagles. By the Eagles. That, that first, like. Yes. But you could have heard of that. I always heard that as, like. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. within the band. Yeah. It's dragging. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, oh there, hi. There, there you are. Yep. There the other you one are. for me always is like uh, <laughs> Fortress by Sting. Oh, dude. Oh, my gosh. That one is. Yeah. You know, that where, he, where's yes. the one? That's the jazz craziness yeah, right there. No, that, yeah. That yeah. Song is, is nice. Sting, Sting, I was having this conversation with Finn the other day. Like that uh, Ten Sumner's Tales to me is you know if you don't if you didn't think he's a genius um that record to me is just the solidification of oh, oh you want me to further flex well here's some pop hits in odd times so yeah. enjoy like <laughs> and you won't even know it's an no odd you time. won't even no. know you'll just like it'll just it'll do something in here when you listen to it yeah, yeah. you're just kind of like that feels weird but it also feels awesome yeah. that that to me literally i was laughing with a friend of mine yesterday that is the like there's people who have like degrees and you can even have your masters but to me 10 sumner's tales is the doctorate it's like uh-huh. this is where he goes this is where I just leave the rest of you in the dust because yes. sure we can all write hits and okay look at my comrades and you know comrades okay good good for you okay I see you over there but uh, just FYI like there's like four songs on this record that are odd time and they feel amazing and they're gonna be uh, sung and loved by everyone so deal with that you know what I mean <laughs> it's you just nailed Sting Sting feels like someone that would have given me a bad grade in college. Oh. Like he just feels like a British like F. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he just feels professorial, you know. And oh, let me guess, you wrote another song in G. Oh, yes. Dear. Yeah, yeah. He, if I built this fortress around your heart. I mean, dude, like, even even a le- illegal alien. I, I had a long talk with a buddy of mine about this the other day. Like, what a oh, I'm an alien. I'm a legal alien. I'm an Englishman in New York. Like, who gets away with that other than Sting? Yeah. Right. 
every, anybody else brings that song and people are like, dude, what is wrong with you? And he sings that and it's like, you're a genius. It's you are little, absolute little, genius. Like, he was so bold. Right That's I mean, the thing. Book, and Collins had that book, too. Book, book. So to make a whole circle, there's a there's a confidence and like in what obviously from two different places musically, but like there's a confidence in like I'm gonna do this. Like free, free, set them free. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna do the, I'm gonna do this in 1985, and you're gonna like it. Yeah, you're gonna like, like it. Deal with it. Be on the radio. Deal with it. <laughs> this is gonna be on the radio, and I'm gonna have ghosts in the background singing. It's gonna be weird, kind of scary a little bit. <laughs> These are we, and we hired real ghosts. Like real I had ghosts. exorcists come in They're and ghosts. I'm doing something that you're not gonna yeah. understand. It's gonna make you upset. Yeah. But this is. There's a confidence that always kind of amazes me. Yeah. That those yeah. people have. You kind of have to. I mean, I think a lot of those guys and girls, you know, they 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 have this sort of like. Yeah, it, it it's that kind of music. I don't think gets created if you're if you're not sort of trying to prove something, right? Do you know what I mean? But you know what, Jacob, you make an interesting point. So 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 um, that song, it it, it 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 the the bridge in um, Englishman in New York, like one, what the heck <laughs> is going on? But it does. You, there's a. It, it's always been the twin to me of the Tom Petty. Um, boom, boom, boom. Do 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 do. No, that bridge. I'm like, uh, what? What in the? Because both of them have this sort of like rap, hip hop, R and B thing that's so. Both of them, and I'm like, I just wonder. I just wonder. If somebody, whichever came first of those two, which they may have been around the same time, was like, dude, you know what we should do is just drop this totally random. Because I'm thinking, if I'm Tom Petty, and who knows, I, I assume, I always assume Mike Rutherford comes up with that stuff, you know, because like, he's just such a bad A guitar player. But like, if I'm them, I'm like, no, 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 we just got a new song, folks. I mean, let's write that song. I mean, like, that's our song. Yeah, and then all of a sudden they just get back, yeah, right back into the big old tank jangly guitar. But it's like um, the fact that both of them were just like, nah. I did it. I have a, a music podcast called Dave's Five High Takes, and I, and I did this some where we talked about like I talked about weird bridges and songs. But there's there's you know Lionel Richie has the um, um, say you say me, which what the heck is that bridge? <laughs> like I just I will always celebrate those moments in music. Uh-huh. I'm like. Thank you for chasing whatever the heck whim that was. You were like, you know what we should do is speed the song up 20 BPM. On a mountain, on a summer you're a shining star. Wonder where you are. See? It's like, what? (laughs) What PCP were you on that you're like, yeah, that's what we're doing? And I miss that. That is one of the things that I lament last thought. That is one of the things I miss so much in music, and especially pop music, is that sort of daring, just whatever, you know, we just have this whim, but it's really musical. It's it's not, it's it's justifiable. I'm not just doing this to, to, maybe I am a little bit, but you hear it and you're like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of awesome too. You know what I mean? You're never like, no, don't do that. You're always like, I mean... I wouldn't have done that, but it's kind of awesome, you know. Like it's just as hooky as the rest of the song, right. you know. Like I really miss that. I miss that in pop music. A true bridge, even yeah, just out out of left field. Like the Beatles to me were the masters of mm. the most amazing bridges. Yeah, but like yeah, it, it truly does kind of make the rest of the song like that. That one from American Girl, like it's like they're just like, hey, let's take a smoke break. 
Yeah. Yeah, musically. Wow. Kind of almost a silly little It's it really is weird. It is so non sequitur. It's so like non sequitur, that's it. You know, like I mean it's but it's so cool. It's so cool. Dave, thanks for uh thanks for being with us. Uh I think we touched on some the the silly and the sublime, which is really where we where our sweet I love spot. Where we went. Um, but we've got one last question to ask you, which mm. we ask all of our guests. Was it a sunrise or a book you read? Maybe a show you watched on your TV set? Or tell me, what's giving you life? Yeah. All right. I'm not going to prophesy on your life, but I think you found a new calling. <laughs> Holy cow. These things are just amazing. What's giving you life? Yeah. All right. Um, so, Dave, what's giving you life? What's giving me life? This That's such a great question. I appreciate that question. Um, I'll tell you what I got hip to lately that I've really loved is um, John Mark Comer's book. I don't know if y'all know his, his books. Um, I read yeah. Ruthless Elimination of Hurry at the end of last year, and it ruined my life. I, re- I, I like, read that as well. Good gracious. Um, I really love him, and I love um, what he's doing. He's such a, he's such a unique bird. You know, it's like he's um, – I just really like his uh, – I've been cranking through his books. I think he has – maybe five or six, but, um, he, you know, his, his stance, I, I really like, and you know what? I think I, I, I was laughing with Matt Chandler about this yesterday. Cause Matt's kind of another one of those guys, but I, I just, John Tyson, there's some of these guys that live in that same space. To me that are like, they're pushing back against the tide. They're not just trying to be kind and acquiesce as believers. They're kind of going, no, like we have something to stand for and to say, um, and it's powerful and it's got, sort of a prophetic leaning in, in that it's telling the truth, you know? So his his books and just sort of, you know, listen to his sermons and stuff have been really life-giving to me because it's, um, it's very kind, it's very empathetic, but it's also truthful, you know? And I think these days that's a tricky space for all of us. It's sort of like how do you, you know, maintain that sort of stance. Um, so I've loved um, just kind of all things John Mark Comer. I'll tell you what. I love, so, you know, we're here in Nashville, and the weather's getting nice again, and we started last year doing this with our kids, which was really fun, is we just go on walks after dinner, just kind of around the block, because they're nine, about to be seven and four, and Mm. it's so great. It's just, like, it's such a wonderful moment in the day, just to, like, I mean, it takes sometimes five minutes, sometimes 15, just kind of walk around the block and just sort of chat and enjoy the weather, and it's just been, I forgot how much I love that, you know, Mm. And and now that it's been nice again, Andy and I, after dinner, will try to remember to go, hey, let's just go on a quick... And it's just, like, such a wonderful way to sort of end the day, you know? That's um, great. So I've really, I've really enjoyed that, too. God, am I 80 years old? <laughs> but going on walks around the block... <laughs> you're just enjoying a nice stroll. I've been watching you. birds a lot, and that's pretty <laughs> been nice. I'm like, what is happening in my do you life? Have a, do you have any characters that... Because I have a lot of characters growing up that whistle. <laughs> well, I... Yeah, that's one of my favorites. The guy... The, okay. the one, one guy that I haven't been able to develop yet that I do... So one of the things that I've realized... Somebody said this to me years ago. They're like, you ever realize with all of your good friends, you guys have a voice you share? And that's true for me of all of my friends. Mm-hmm. Like, in my band guys, it's the redneck. But 
one of the things that got that we always joke about is the guy who can't ever land. So this is what he does. Yeah, I was up there and uh, she's over. No, I was down there. And then she came up. No, uh-uh. No, I was in there. She came up there and then I was over. And she's up in there talking about how she's down there. And I was like, I thought you was up there. And it's just this sort of cacophony of non-directional granddad southern guy. Yeah. Yeah. But I added the, the well, uh, the, <laughs> but the whistle at the wrong time. So not when he's actually saying it is. Yeah, she was uh, up there tonight. Almost like a bleep. Yeah, it literally sounds like that's why I couldn't do it because I was like, people are going to think I'm cussing and then my whole thing. Yeah. But your you whistle know. is real strong. Yeah, I've, I was taking years to develop. I have to floss. Nice. It's made me floss because I can't really do it without a good floss. I had an orthodontist and he said, Say hi to your mom before us. And he would say, but he would say, he would, like when he was doing our braces, he would say, He would say, Now bite. Now bite. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing it. That's what I'm saying. Is, now, why are you doing that? It's just beautiful days. And I was like, man, can you get that? I want. I'm like, I bet you get that fixed. Or just land it with the s's. That's when now you should it. be doing it. Yeah, she's a nice girl down there. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is happening? Yeah. You know, oh. <laughs> just or the or the. Or the Oh, the worst is when there's just breathing and you hear that. <laughs> and nobody's asleep. You just look over and there's like an older guy and he's just kind of sitting there looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> you <know? laughs> what are your teeth? Is it teeth thing? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, oh, I good. love that. Thanks for... Thanks for joining us, Dave. This is great, man. Oh, man. I so appreciate it. Yeah, so good, man. Thanks for taking all this time with us, man. This is so fun. (laughs) 